Hello, members of the Resilient Catholics community. Dr. Peter here. Welcome to the Interconnections Talk for week 38 in the RCC, all about legacy burdens. Legacy burdens. That's what we're going to be discussing today. But before we get into that, let's just review what we learned last week. Last week, week 37, we covered a step-by-step process for working through polarizations among parts. So let's just do that brief review for spiral learning. That's when we come back and just review things again to help it solidify, to help it really sink in. So to review, Schwartz and Sweezy define a polarization as a state in which two members or two groups in the same system take opposing views and conflict or compete. They grow increasingly extreme out of fear of the other side taking over and can thereby obscure the self of the system. Parts always become polarized about a specific decision or a specific course of action where they disagree. And so that nine-step process will just tick through. The first step is to recognize those polarized parts. And that step, we connect with each part, with your innermost self, being introduced to each part and the polarization. Step two, unblend from each part to be more recollected, to be more in self. Step three, to clarify each part's role, his or her positive intent, and his or her conflict with the other part or parts. Step four is to develop a trusting relationship with each part. Step five is to decide whether to work with an exile or to work on a depolarization. Step six is to seek and receive permission from each part to have a depolarization dialogue with all the other polarized parts under the leadership of the self. Step seven is when each part states its position and then responds to the other parts in the polarization. Step eight, each part listens to the other parts and responds accordingly in dialogue. And step nine, the resolution of the polarization. Three paths exist for resolving a polarization with three different levels of resolution. One path and one level of resolution is very practical. It's about deciding what to do. It's about finding a compromise among the parts. The second path and the second level of resolution is deeper and more long-lasting. This is when polarized parts learn to appreciate each other, to cooperate and to connect, parts valuing each other, seeing the good in each other. The third path and the third level of resolution is when the underlying exile or exiles that are driving the polarization are able to unburden and those parts are able to be free. That frees the protector parts. They no longer have to hold these extreme polarized roles and defend those exiles or defend against those exiles. That's the deepest level of resolution. And we talked about the possibility also of working with a spiritual confidant when you're doing that depolarization work. Today, we want to get into legacy burdens. Richard Schwartz maintains that the most fundamental and common burdens develop in response to lived personal experience. These are the personal burdens, and we discuss those at length. However, there are also legacy burdens. And what are legacy burdens? Well, according to Richard Schwartz, legacy burdens 
are the intergenerational transmission of extreme feelings, beliefs, and actions. The intergenerational transmission of extreme feelings, beliefs, and actions. This is when trauma and the effects of trauma are passed down from generation to generation within a family or within a culture. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about this is that legacy burdens have become a much bigger focus in recent years in IFS. And let me just give you an example. In 1995, when the original first version of the Internal Family Systems Therapy book, that seminal text, when that came out in 1995, there were a total of four pages devoted to legacy burdens. In the 2020 revision of that book, the second edition, 25 pages were devoted to legacy burdens, about a five-fold increase. So legacy burdens are now a major, major focus for some IFS therapists but not for others. For example, there is no mention of legacy burdens in Jay Early's three-volume series on self-therapy, no mention of legacy burdens in our Bonnie Weiss workbook. So there's a whole variety of different opinions about this. Legacy burdens are not addressed in most of the IFS books that are directed at Christian audiences. The one exception is that there's about a page and a half on legacy burdens in Boundaries for Your Soul by Kimberly Miller and Allison Cook. According to Richard Schwartz, there are a number of different kinds of legacy burdens that are prominent in U.S. culture. Those include racism, patriarchy, individualism, materialism, and burdens around sexuality and gender. Let's talk about the development of legacy burdens. This is Richard Schwartz and Martha Sweezy a quote from their book, Internal Family Systems, Second Edition. They say, quote, Parts often take on the extreme ideas, behaviors, or feelings of significant others. These transferred burdens are just as organizing and constraining as personal burdens. Because they are highly dependent on their parents and eager to be included in the family culture, children are particularly susceptible to burdens that are passed down from one generation to the next, including the burden of having to protect another family member, of having to be a great success, or believing that the world is too dangerous to engage in developmental exploration and risk-taking. Richard Swartz describes how legacy burdens are communicated usually from parent to child. So, in that sense, legacy burdens are experienced firsthand by the child, but legacy burdens are secondhand in the sense that the origin of the belief comes from the experience of someone else, someone who even might have lived generations ago, and the burden was passed down from generation to generation. Some research suggests that adverse childhood experiences or childhood traumas in parents may have an impact on subsequent generations through epigenetics and particularly the process of methylation. And we're not going to get into the details of all that genetic science, but because we are embodied beings, it's not surprising to me that generational trauma may be passed on in some way through our bodies. Richard Schwartz gives an example of how a woman may be having difficulty with romantic relationships because she inherited an unconscious belief that all men are dangerous because of the gang rape experienced by her great-grandmother during wartime. 
I will give you an example of a legacy burden in my family. So my maternal grandmother was born in 1920, and she was a young girl when the family experienced the Great Depression. Had a huge economic impact on my grandmother, on her family, on my great-grandparents. Lots of suffering happened in that family. And so the effect of the deprivations of the Great Depression stayed with my grandmother. Those were passed on to the experience of my mother. I experienced something of that as well. Richard Swartz notes that legacy burdens may be found in the following ways. There could be chronic shared feeling states. For example, having a sense of melancholy or depression because your parents were always depressed or anxiety because that was a family experience. Second is shared habits. For example, there might be a, there might be a, a culture, there might be a family norm that we never argue or disagree with each other, at least not openly. There's no open conflict. And the third place that legacy burdens might be found are shared beliefs. So for example, there might be a shared belief that all priests are holy, so we never challenge what priests say or do. Two scenarios illustrate legacy burdens, and these are from Richard Schwartz. First, when a parent's manager parts exile the parent's own sad or needy or angry or otherwise intense parts, what can happen is that there could be this parallel process by which the parent's managers also reject the sad, needy, angry, or otherwise intense parts of the child. So what happens first, mom rejects mom's needy, angry, intense parts. Then mom's managers also reject the child's needy, sad, angry, or otherwise intense parts. Then the child's managers take on the role of it suppressing the child's own needy or sad or angry or intense parts. And so you see there was a generational teaching that went on there. The child's managers mimic her mother's managers and the child learns both by her mother's modeling that she should also suppress her sad, needy, angry, and intense parts. And then the child takes that role on herself, her own managers take that role on in order to protect her whole system from the consequences of what mom would do if those sad, needy, angry, or otherwise intense parts came up. So that's the first scenario that can develop into legacy burdens. And the second way that legacy burdens are passed down from generation to generation is when a parent's exiles turned to the child for care, for nurturance, to make things all right. That's a role reversal, and it leads to parentified children. In parentified children, the child's managers are required to protect the parent. And in that process, the child has to exile her own needy parts. The parts with the needs were exiled and they feel ashamed, angry, lonely, and sad. There's ripple effects through the child's whole system, firefighters and managers all trying to protect against the intensity of the child's unrecognized, unacknowledged experience. 
The managers and the firefighters are also trying to make the child the best parent of his or her own mother or father that the child can be. And that's one way that a child's managers can become parentified. Family managers can be a very powerful force capable of dominating and exiling various parts of family members for years. Well, how do we work with legacy burdens? Well, legacy burdens, like personal burdens, are usually held by our exiles. And if you're in touch with the exile and you want to find out if the burden is a legacy burden or a personal burden, you can just ask the exile, what percent of this burden, this feeling, belief, or behavior belongs to someone else? What percent of this burden belongs to someone else? Often, when protector parts realize that legacy burdens are inherited and they're not the result of one's own personal experience, protectors want to let those legacy burdens go and they want to let them go fast right away. However, sometimes the exiles that carry legacy burdens are very reluctant to let those legacy burdens go, often because of loyalty to some family member. If loyalty to a family member that passed on the legacy burden is an issue, we can explore that just like we would explore any other trailhead. The unburdening process for a legacy burden is very similar to that of a personal burden, and sometimes unburdening legacy burdens can be easier because the experience of the original trauma was not personal. What needs to be worked through is primarily the relationship with the person who passed on the legacy burden because the parts hold on to that legacy burden in order to try to preserve that relationship with that important person, even if that important person has died or is otherwise no longer in the person's life. You might consider having a spiritual confidant on board for the unburdening of legacy burdens. We discussed spiritual confidants at length in weeks 28, 29, and 30. We want to be in self, so we really want to focus on how recollected we are when we're working with legacy burdens. You can ask parts about the legacy burden. Where is that burden in or around the body? Whatever sensory experience the exile has of the burden. And you can ask the exile how the exile would like to release the legacy burden. After the burden is released, the exile is free to take on a new role within your system, just like after releasing a personal burden. There's also the space to take in positive qualities or feelings now that the burden is gone. Could be joy, playfulness, strength, love, a deep sense of well-being, could be peace. And you can ask the unburdened part to invite in those qualities that would be helpful in the future. After that, check and see what the part wants to do now. They might just want to play or be free. It's very good to show appreciation for all your parts, for their cooperation and collaboration in the process. And it's really important to check in with parts that have been unburdened from legacy burdens to see what they need. You want to stay in touch with them for at least 21 to 28 days, really consistently to consolidate the revisions in the neural networks in the brain. That's just like what we do with personal burdens. Also, I want to let you know that legacy burdens can lift gradually. So that can happen as well. Legacy burdens can lift gradually as well. I think along with unattached burdens, and we'll get into that in the advanced RCC program, along with unattached burdens, legacy burdens 
may be a way that IFS attempts to address original sin and its effects, including concupiscence. IFS is, in addition to being a process of human formation and a therapy modality, IFS is also a belief system. But IFS is limited. It has no real theory of evil, and it has no real theory of the origins of evil. It's a belief system that's incomplete. So I think that this idea of legacy burdens may be a way that IFS attempts to deal with concupiscence. Concupiscence is the insubordination of our desires to the dictates of reason. It's when our desires do not conform to right reason. It's the propensity of human nature to sin, right? As a result of original sin, there are these unruly desires of the will, such as pride, ambition, and envy. I don't know that those are all contained within parts. I think there may be some of that that happens within us that's actually not driven by a part, but that's driven by concupiscence. So so that also may factor in in some ways to the way that some IFS practitioners emphasize legacy burdens. Just like with personal burdens, I'm not going to give you an experiential exercise to unburden legacy burdens. Again, I think that's just so personal. It needs to be something that's not protocol-driven, but more relationally driven. But I also want you to know that legacy burdens can spontaneously unburden, just like personal burdens can spontaneously unburden, if the conditions are right. And so, what I'm going to invite you to do is to get your, your parts journal, your pens, your pencils, your paper. We're going to do an experiential exercise about deepening the understanding of the intergenerational transmission of extreme feelings or beliefs. And I will see you on the other side.